Welcome to the show, folks. This is Wrestling Changed My Life. Here we go. I know there's a famous quote by Dan Gable, after wrestling, everything else is easy. I, I would actually strongly disagree with that. Yeah, yeah <laughs> um, totally. I mean, wrestling is tough. It's very, very tough. Um, but, but med school is tough, too. It's a different, it's a different animal. We can endure anything and adapt and pivot and change. Wrestling gave us that ability. I would say nothing in life has impacted me more than the things wrestling has taught me in terms of self-reflection, resilience. Toughness. Some guys have it, some guys don't. Adversity, 100%. How to pick myself up and be a man after I failed. And everything that has shaped my life and where I'm at today would not be there without the values and basically the, the lessons I've learned through the sport of wrestling. For me, wrestling saved my life because it, it allowed me to focus and channel my energy. We're fortunate if you wrestled because if you wrestled, natural talent helps, but it's, it's 5% of the ingredient. It pales in comparison to heart and technique and effort. It humbled me, taught me humility. Nothing can hit, humble you more than wrestling. I think it's the learning to adapt, right? You learn, you learn how to adapt, you learn how to solve problems. You know, if I look back at my time I spent wrestling, if it gave me one thing more than anything else, it's mental toughness. Welcome to the show, folks. This is Wrestling Changed My Life. My guest today is Dr. Eric Tannenbaum. Eric Tannenbaum, let me tell you, was an Illinois legend. Four-time finalist, three-time champ. His only loss came in the finals his sophomore year. And trust me, we talk about that because it was one of the biggest upsets in Illinois history. He went on to be a four-time All-American at Michigan and then went on to Michigan Medical School. Really enjoy the conversation. I hope you do as well. Fan of the week goes to Pat Pithen. He's a sales specialist out in Urbandale, Iowa for Document Solutions. Thank you so much for the support, Pat. We appreciate it. This episode is brought to you by Gable the Goat Part 2, which is a documentary podcast on Dan Gable, believe it or not. Uh, Part 2 covers the years 1987 through 1993. You'll hear from Tom Ryan, Tom Brands, Lincoln McElravey, Troy Steiner. That's episode 110, so give it a listen and let us know what you think. We love doing the documentaries here, and we'll be doing more of them. For latest updates from the show, please go to WrestlingChangeMyLife.com. And that's it, folks. Let's give it up for the doc, Eric Tannenbaum. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we're here with Dr. Eric Tannenbaum. How are you, sir? Good. How you doing? I'm doing great, man. I love talking wrestling, and I got to say, though, man, this morning about 8 a.m., I had a little wave of sadness because I was seeing all the posts about the Nationals, and I had to cancel my flights, and it got real that we weren't going to, weren't going to the Nationals this year, man. It's been a crazy time. Do you usually go? I actually have not been since uh, since the last time I competed, but it's just been because I've always been crazy busy. I've always been trying to get back to there. Eventually, eventually that's the goal and the plan, and I think it's going to be awesome when I do. Um, I guess it's a good thing I didn't plan that for this year, but but it's been um, you know all these years I've been in training, so I kind of been stuck at the mercy of whatever program I've been training, and it's hard to get time off. But I'll probably try to go next year. Man, I you said it though with your time management. I mean, just going down the the rabbit hole on you. I mean, everyone knows your story. You're a doctor, um, you know, academic, all American, wrestling all American, just the model student athlete, so to speak. I'm sure you you cringe when people say that. But um, before we get to Michigan and before we get to uh, your um, your medical practice now, 
I want to go way back to the beginning because I graduated high school in 07. And so you had already left by that point in time. But man, the stories of you and, and Brian Dyer and, and that whole crew, I mean, those were some those were some awesome classes of Illinois wrestlers. So let's go back to the very beginning, man. When did, when did wrestling hook you and how'd you get into it? So I started out... Um, kind of doing every sport. So my dad got, had me in soccer. I was in karate. Uh, I was in a little bit of everything. Um, and then, you know, I, in soccer, I kept getting red cards and I kept, you know, I was a little too physical. And so my dad thought it'd probably be a good idea to get me into something like karate, but then karate, you weren't able to actually strike anyone. (laughs) (laughs) So probably when I was about eight years old, he uh, signed me up for, uh, it was actually Naperville Central Wrestling Club. Um, so I went down there and he said, you know, I brought you in soccer and we bought you cleats and all these shin guards and everything. And you didn't end up, you know, I, I mean, I finished out the years and everything, but I didn't end up staying with it. And I did karate and same thing. So he said, I'm going to, you know, I want to make sure that you stick this out. So we, uh, I started wrestling really in socks for, for the first uh, six months, which is kind of funny thinking about it now. Um, and I started out at, uh, the Naval central wrestling club. And then, uh, that's actually where I met Brian Dyer. And then from there, I don't know exactly how he met Israel Martinez, but I remember, uh, I remember we would go to these tournaments and we weren't any good, you know, at the beginning, I think Dyer was, he'd been wrestling a couple of years, so he's a lot better than me, but we would see Israel Martinez there and Nathan Martinez and they were just killing kids and it was just crazy. So somehow, I don't know how, but Brian Dyer and his, and his uh, dad got in uh, with the Martinez's and they invited him over to East Aurora high school to start kind of wrestling there. And then because we were good friends with the Dyers, they invited us. And then that was, then it became the routine where we were going over there. And, you know, in the beginning it was just Israel Martinez, Nathan Martinez, me, Brian Dyer, uh, Roberto Torres, uh, Ruben Villarreal. It was just kind of a handful of us and we would just go in and, and practice. And it was, it was intense, but it was great training. A lot different than kind of anything else you'd seen really at that time. There were no wrestling clubs. There was no Izzy style wrestling. There was no even Fox Valley wrestling. There was no overtime wrestling. None of that stuff really existed at the time. It was just basically, you know, I think probably like Blair Academy. There were a handful around the country, but certainly nothing around us. Just kind of like your local rec club pretty much at that time. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't even a club. It was just, you know, uh, he, uh, Jose Martinez was the head wrestling coach of East Aurora high school. And afterwards he would train his kids and whoever else wanted to come in. I mean, it literally was, there was no membership. There were no membership fees. It was just who open room, whoever wanted to come in and train with, you know, some tough kids from Aurora could, was welcome to come on in. So it was really pretty old school, kind of cool actually thinking about it and reflecting back on kind of compared to now how everything is also structured and there's club payments and club memberships. It was it was really pretty uh, primitive at the time, but that was kind of the cool thing about it. Definitely. And and had your family, do you have any brothers or sisters, and did your family have any experience with wrestling, or did you guys just kind of realize 20 years later that you were in the hands of a, a true master in Jose Martinez, and it just kind of worked out that way? So my dad wrestled in high school for a few years. Um, he always tells a story about how he got into some big fight with his coach and, and kind of ended up, uh, quitting more more out of uh, uh, frustration and spite, um, but nobody else in my family wrestled. I have a sister uh, who's a couple years older than me, and she uh, she's a, actually eighth grade English teacher right now. 
Um, but obviously she wasn't into it. So it was kind of, you know, it was kind of, my dad did a little bit of it and he was really, he, you know, he loved it and he got really into it and knows he can recall every single score of every match <laughs> and every little thing that happened. It's kind of crazy. I mean, if you ask him about anything, he would, he would know it. So he, he loved it. And it was, he told me it was, you know, a great ride for him, uh, especially, you know, thinking about all the different stages between starting with the Martinez's and then stuff that happened in high school and then going on to college. So it was, uh, I think it was definitely a good, good what, ride for both of us. What a journey. And what, t- how old were you when you say you met the Martinez family? So I was, I mean, it was pretty early on. So I was probably maybe 10 or 11. I, I was young. I mean, that was, like I said, that was when we just, just started a few years in and started going over there. And that's when all of a sudden started kind of getting pretty good. And it was kind of funny because I remember the first tournament that I went to, I think it was called the war horse. It was the first tournament where I actually, you know, did anything that was of any significance. I won the tournament and I beat Charles Lloyd in the finals. And Jose Martinez. Yeah. And so Jose Martinez, after I I beat him, would look at me. He's like, do you know who that was? You know? So that started happening more and more. Like I went to the tournament of champions and I don't remember. This is the stuff I'm not really, I, I have a terrible memory of all the little details, but I think it might've been Ryan needle or it was, it was might've been Jaggers. It was, it was a name person at the time that I wrestled in the, in the finals and I beat him. And everybody at that tournament was like, you know who you your son just beat. I think it might've been Ryan needle who was, I think a multiple time state champ in New York at the time. So things like that kind of happened more and more as we were just training in this small group of people um, with the Martinez's and whoever else wanted to come on in. It was, there was no, you know, there was no politics. There was no, uh, I mean, it was all just basically who wants to come in this tough gym and train with these people at this time show up. And for the folks who aren't from Illinois, the names we're throwing around, you know, Nathan and Israel Martinez, Brian Dyer, obviously in addition to yourself, but those three alone, like you might not even have been the best guy in the room on a given night. Like you might not have gotten the best of any of those guys. That's how good those dudes were. Um, I mean, was that what it was like for a while? Just scrapping and just trying to stay alive. And the room was so tough that you'd go out and beat guys at the tournaments. And it was like, yeah, that's good and all, but the room is so freaking tough. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's exactly right. I mean, the, the, the surprising thing about all this, probably is that I, you know, for whatever reason, I I ended up going on to college and kind of doing more, I would say, in college than any of those guys. But at the time, I mean, you know, it was just kind of how things worked out because at the time, a lot of the guys in that room were kicking my ass, you know. Right. I think, uh, you know, Israel, I would be lucky if I got a takedown on in an entire practice and it would kill me. It was so frustrating. Um, And then, you know, even even some of the other names like Ruben Villarreal, he – I don't, I don't think he even wrestled in college, but that guy was just crushing me. It was, you know, so I think that that's kind of the best way in wrestling, as everyone knows, to get better is to go in a room where you're going to get your ass kicked as much as you can, as long as you can stand it mentally to keep coming back. Absolutely. And w- when would you say you realized that your work ethic and your drive was unique and that you were just all in, like wrestling had hooked you, you were 100% in? When did that happen for you? I would say when I started having those big wins, because that's, you know, that's what I think in, in wrestling is a big drive is you push, you push, you push, and, and then all of a sudden you beat somebody that nobody thought you'd beat, and people start looking at you and wondering, who's this guy, you know? And so um, I, I think as soon as we started getting some of those big wins and winning some big 
state and national tournaments and and then it just kind of rolled from there it was just like uh, an addiction you know you wanted to just keep getting better and keep finding bigger people to try to go after and beat and what was the tournament schedule like back then was there tournaments in the spring and summer or was it just wrestling with jose and i've even start, heard stories from nathan of jose had didn't have mats at his house but just carpet and like stacks of carpet in his garage and they'd be <laughs> yeah. drilling on the carpet yeah. i mean so were you over there in the summers doing that kind of stuff Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. We were. I mean, I was Israel and Nathan, and I, w- I would hang out with them all the time. And we would. Uh, I mean, that was our that was our main group, and and we found tournaments. I mean, there were definitely tournaments, Great Lakes. I mean, tournaments that I don't even know if people if it even existed. Where there was a Great Lakes <laughs> tournament, there was of course all the different uh, all the different uh, Northern Plains tournaments, freestyle Greco. I mean, we were finding there was some crazy outdoor tournaments. Where I remember they had a the mats were so hot because it was in the middle of summer. They had to keep wiping them down. It was ridiculous, but I mean, <laughs> we would find, we would find tournaments all over the state and country and just go to them. Like I said, we would try to find people that, that would, um, you know, that could, that could beat us. And, it, and I, honestly, at some point in time, it was, uh, my dad always jokes that he felt like it was like rolling into a place, opening the van, letting a bunch of pit bulls out. We'd go out, we'd just tear it up and come back in with the trophies. Let's go uh, for, for a long, for a long time. It was, it was kind of, you know, we, we basically rode around dominating. I mean, it was, I, I, I can count on probably one hand. I remember the times Israel lost. And then when he lost, it was like stunning. I mean, it was, I can't actually, I can't even remember. I don't remember him really losing. How fucking anything. good was Israel Martinez in his prime, dude? <laughs> he was, he was good. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> like that's, just ridiculous. That's the thing. I don't think, <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. I don't, I don't know that people really realize it. And I mean, like I said, obviously everybody knows the story. He, you know, he didn't end up going to college and doing the thing that he probably could have done, but you know, that was just, and I mean, he's pretty open about it. That was just how some things turned out and some decisions made here or there that may have not been ideal. Um, <clears throat> but mm-hmm. yeah, and his prime, I mean, he was, he was unstoppable. And the thing about it is that, you know, he would be out for, this is the thing that people didn't understand. I mean, we were young, but he, he would be out even in, in junior high and high school, just out up in the middle of the night, joking around, doing different, you know, whatever would get a few hours of sleep and go wake up the next morning, make weight and then, and then win a national title or whatever, you know, whatever national tournament we were at. Jeez. I mean, just, that's just how we, that's how good he was. You know, my dad had me in bed at 8 PM and Israel would always be laughing. He's like, Hey, just leave him alone. You know, they used to call me rock. That was my nickname. So like, leave, you know, leave rock alone. Let him just, you know, he needs to sleep. He needs to get his rest. My dad was very serious about it. I was in bed at seven thirty or eight. You know, even if I was laying in bed for three hours and then he'd have me up in the morning and, and, you know, those guys would be up playing cards or joking around, whatever, you know, until one in the morning, go out and just kill everyone. So it was a totally different level, in my opinion, more, more, you know, a higher level than I've seen for a lot of people. I mean, did he ever lose in high school? I think he slammed someone. That was it. That was it. So no. Yeah. He he had zero. I, I don't even think he was ever close to losing in high school. I mean, in between so. you guys, think about IKWF. I think he won IKWF like five times. Brian Dyer won four times. You won three times. I mean, that is just that's a phenomenal group, and it just it's just amazing how all that came together. When did Fox Valley and the Spanglers get involved? How did that all come about? So my dad was always trying to get. Jose to kind of make it a more formal thing because 
um, he, he just, you know, at the end of the, at the end of the year, you know, they would always give him like a thank you card with some, with, you know, with some money in it or whatever as a thank you appreciation thing. And Jose never wanted to, never wanted to take it. He said, I love doing what I'm doing. I love training your kids, whatever. But, you know, I think it was the right thing to do. He's putting tons of time and effort and he was doing something that was great and, you know, changed, you know, changed a lot of these people's lives for, I mean, if I had never met them, who knows, you know, I mean, I, I have no idea. I wasn't like, some phenom it it wasn't like I had this amazing talent so basically he for years Jose never wanted to take a dime from anybody he just did it because this is how we do it and this is what I want to do and I just train my kids you're welcome to join whatever if you want to put effort into it and then eventually you know with uh I don't remember specific details of how Spangler became involved or who introduced whom or how how any of that happened but eventually Spangler Spangler he got involved and and between the Benefields, my dad and Spangler, they kind of convinced uh, him to start this Fox Valley wrestling thing, which he was really reluctant to do. But then once he started it, it really started to bring in a lot of different people and it really kind of made it um, more structured. And then with more structure, then you could build it as a team. And then the team obviously was going around and, and we were, we were winning a lot of different tournaments. So, and I, and I think it, and then it kind of became a permanent thing for him, which I, which I think he enjoyed doing for a long time. And I always wondered, where did the Fox Valley Club practice? Did you guys have your own facility? No, it was really the same thing. That's the funny thing about it. It was just the name. But we really were at – we were mainly at, uh, at East Aurora. And then sometimes we would go over to – you know, it was just different areas. Like, I think when Nikla opened, sometimes they were going over there. But – for the most part, at least in the very beginning, for the for the majority of the time I was there, nothing really changed other than the name. But people were coming from all over to go to, you know, this really, I mean, East Aurora, I don't know if you've ever been in that high school, but it's, um, you know, I mean, there's pretty rough, graffiti right? all over the rest. Yeah, yeah, there's graffiti all over the wrestling mats. There was, um, you know, I don't know if he was joking or serious, but I think he was serious. He would always say, Jose would always say, check your shoes. Cause there might be cockroaches in there. I think he was serious. <laughs> you know, there was bullet holes. There was bullet holes in the, in the windows in the wrestling room. And then in, when you'd always, when you'd enter the, the high school, I'd say every, every other week, probably the front door was smashed out. I mean, it was crazy from, from a kid from Naperville, right? From, from like a, from a kid from Naperville, it was crazy. But I mean, I guess if you, if you grew up in that area, it's, that's I don't know if that's your norm, but for me, it was definitely not. You know, that's not Naperville North High School. I can tell you that. When you think of, you know, again, people who are not from Illinois have no idea what we're talking about, but I don't care because th- I grew up during this era when the the split happened, then it became <laughs> Martinez Fox Valley, then the Spangers were doing their thing, and Jose was doing his thing, and you know, this was big. This was big drama back in the IKWF <laughs> days, and you know that team, the Fox Valley team, in like probably two thousand one, two thousand, maybe even before that. Actually, it's probably the nineties when like Benefield was there before the split happened. One of the most dominant teams ever, as a, at the kids level. I mean, we're talking several, several multiple time Illinois State champions all in one club. And the fact that all those rich cats from Naperville were driving to East Aurora, I had no idea that's how it was. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. I mean, it was it was pretty much you know it was me, Brian Dyer. And then uh, Nick Fantorp were, were pretty much the people coming from Naperville. So I, I well, I guess you say Benefield, but he wasn't. Well, Spangler's aren't they from, from Naperville? Naperville? Yeah, I think he's. Is he from Naperville? I that think might have been from Naperville. Yeah, quite a bit younger too than when. Or somewhere, yeah. So. Yeah. We'll, we'll Either move way, on. they were definitely they were definitely from an affluent area. That's for sure. Definitely, to say the <laughs> least. Um, and so that's that's kind of the foundation you grew up with. Uh, you know. 
one of the best Illinois coaches of all time. I mean, you'll never hear his name mentioned in that conversation, but people from Illinois know that Jose Martinez um, was one of the, the great coaches of all time. And if you went to any of those camps or clubs in the summer, like I was from a small farm town and we used to get nervous wrestling Chicago kids and had a confidence issue, but you'd hang out with Jose for a while up there and you felt confident. You just you just instilled yeah. that in you. I love that going up there. And Betty, uh, you know, rest yeah. in peace. She was the sweetest um, and was like just a wrestling mom for the whole state. So what a great family. Um, and then so you you go, you, know, you you do really well in middle school. When did you come in contact with Sean Borme? How old were you when that all happened? So the the first first time I ever heard uh, Sean Bor- Bormat's name was uh, my sophomore year in high school. Um, I mean, every not everybody. I guess I'm I'm now an old an old timer, but um, people our age that followed wrestling at least would know that um, I was 86 and 0 uh, going into my my going into the state championship match against Kukula um, and. I beat him, you know, easily earlier in the year. I mean, it was like, it was like a joke to me. Like, I mean, not a joke, but it was, I beat him. I think I beat him 12, six. It was, it was not really even a challenge at the time, at least in my mind. I remember being like, Oh, this guy, you know, I got this guy. He pins a lot of people, but it's not a big deal. So I beat him early in the year. And then in the state finals, he ended up pinning me in the mills. Uh, He took top because you know, he had been training with Sean Bormat and watching tape and doing all the things that probably I should have been doing, you know, and, and, and not taking, cause he was my number one um, competitor at the time. So I probably shouldn't have been taken, not that I was taking him too lightly, but you know, I wasn't, I wasn't too worried about it. We weren't doing anything special or looking at, oh, okay, make sure we weren't working on getting out of the mills or anything. It was just like, you know, business as usual. And after I lost to him a few weeks later, I'd heard the name Sean Bormat and I heard he was, a previous uh, Providence uh, wrestler that teamed up with him and kind of started reviewing my tapes and, and basically came up with a plan on how to beat me. So that's the first time I heard of Sean Bormet. Uh, so obviously, initially, I wasn't a big Bormet fan. <laughs> Holy um, cow! I didn't know that. That's the connection. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's yeah. That's that's the first time I heard who he was, and so initially, I was you know, like I said, I was not. You know, I was just like, okay, well, that sucks. And so the the first time I met him, though, I don't remember what the tournament was, but I remember I was kind of just getting ready to do something, and, and he came over and he said, introduced himself, and he said, hey, you know, um, I'm John Wormet, blah, blah, blah. And at the time, I mean, obviously, as I was kind of young and immature. I remember thinking in, my, thinking in my head, like, you know, screw this guy or whatever. I don't, you know, I don't care about him at all. Like, you know, he's the reason that I lost in my state finals match. If he wasn't here, which I kind of still wonder, because, I mean, I don't know that they would have had the same game plan if they didn't have somebody, but who knows. But anyways, he introduced himself. I eventually got over it. Um, he invited me to, to start going to some of the training practices at Overtime School of Wrestling. Uh, at that time, I think it was it was in Tinley Park only. I don't think they had the Naperville location. And I, you know, so eventually I reluctantly kind of went over there just to check it out. Uh, and he's, you know, I mean, anybody that knows Sean knows he's the most stand-up person you'll ever meet. So, you know, once I got over <laughs> the fact that he trained the one person that beat me in high school, um, then I started realizing he's, you know, he's a great guy. He's a great asset. He's he's a great uh, mentor. And, and since that, I got over it and just started training with him. And, and that was pretty much, I, I would want, I want to say maybe that was my, mid-junior year 
How in high school? It was probably the I think it was the summer junior year of high school because I think it was at a freestyle tournament that I was talking to him. How similar or dissimilar were Jose and his uh, practice plans and training philosophies? Uh, I would say they're, they're, they were very different, but it was because they were training different people and they were the best at who they were training. So what I mean by that is Jose is phenomenal at training kids. Phenomenal. Um, and then I remember at some point I got into high school, um, and he, you know, made some comment about how he's kind of taught me everything he knows and I just have to build on it from there. And, from there, Sean, I think, was a great person to help transition into kind of high school and college wrestling. Um, not that Jose couldn't do a lot of that, but he has more experience or had more experience working with younger kids and was so, so good at breaking down moves and, and teaching kids how to focus and, and doing all the things that, frankly, I don't know that Sean, you know, wanted to do as much, which is why he eventually transitioned out of overtime school of wrestling into Michigan. Cause I think he was, he was more excited about college guys and, and coaching, you know, so, so I would say the the teaching style was appropriate for the levels they were teaching, but very different. Mm. You know, I mean, Sh- Ho- Jose was doing step-by-step of moves and have you do it over, do it over, do it over. And so it was perfect. You know, even sometimes when it was perfect, you tell you it's not perfect, do it over. You know, and you're not, obviously you're not, that's just not how college training and wrestling is. You're not, you're not doing like the same drill of the same move step by step over and over. It's just a little different. Yeah. He was huge on drilling. Like I'd never seen as a more structured drill than when you'd go up there and everyone who was a Martinez kid knew how to do it to a T and it was just amazing to watch him to go through that. Those, they'd have different series and different, I mean, it was, it was really broken down. Yeah, and the thing is, you know, I don't do a ton of coaching now, but every once in a while, you know, somebody will ask if I can run a clinic or whatever, and so I'll run clinics, and it's hard, man. It's hard to get kids to focus. I mean, my kid's five, and he's in wrestling now, and just, you know, just for fun, um, and I go there to, to see what, how he's doing, and he's doing a headstand in the back of the room and stuff, you know, so I don't know. I mean, Jose had a talent and was, was able to really get kids to focus because, I mean, it, to get an eight-year-old kid to start doing the same thing over and over against the wall in a hot wrestling room in East Aurora is, you know, that's, a, that's, that's not easy to do. I know. I always get anxiety thinking, I'm not married and I don't have kids, but if I ever did, like, what would be the first move you'd teach a kid? How do you even start? It's so daunting <laughs> to think about, isn't it? It gives me anxiety. I don't even have kids. <laughs> yeah. I think it's really just the the most important thing is getting them interested and liking it. And that's kind of the stage that my kid's in. I mean, I will never push any of my kids to do anything they don't want to do. I mean, obviously I'll keep them focused and centered on, on positive things, but I'm never going to push them into something they don't want to do. I, I don't think that's the right move, whether it's wrestling or playing the piano. But that being said, um, <clears throat> you know, I think that, I think the most important thing, if they're going to be interested in it, is uh, you know, is keeping them interested. Uh, and then if you find that they're interested and want to take it to the next level, and that's kind of what I tell my my son Eli's coach right now. He's an awesome guy. Uh, he's you know he gets gets the kids interested and really keeps it fun and entertaining. Um, but but basically what I tell him is, at this point, I'm just happy to have him involved but if he ever wants to take it seriously or to the next level then that's when i'm gonna you know if he wants to take it you know where he's gonna actually try to train then then that's where i'd definitely be interested in kind of stepping in and helping coach and things like that but for now he's just kind of having fun yeah and just keeping it keeping them interested in the sport is, is obviously huge i, I hate 
the coaches that try to weed kids that I think that's ridiculous um I don't I don't know any other sport that takes pride in getting kids away more than wrestling and I, I think it's just crazy that some people do that um so we yeah, we I glossed agree. over I mean, every, everybody everybody matures at different levels so you just you know you got to see where they're at right and now we uh we glossed over a topic that I threw out a post this morning I go I got I got Dr. Eric Tannenbaum on the show. What questions do you have for him? 50% of them were the Kukula match. We got to go back to that, man. We're talking about <laughs> – I'm sorry to do it, but it's – you know, every every guest I have on, usually we talk I, about – I mean, I, I figure it's as much. <laughs> man, we're talking about one of the biggest upsets in Illinois high school state history, maybe the loudest Assembly Hall's ever been. Um, maybe not, though. I mean, there's been a lot of great upsets, a lot of great matches at Assembly Hall, but like you said – Coming into the match, you were 86-0, and 0, uh, wrestling 125 pounds, and you had this kid who was like a real gangly guy. And, and I know Matt. He's a, he's a great guy, but real gangly, long guy for 125 pounds. And I was looking it up. In his career, he had pinned over 105 people. So it's like, I didn't realize <laughs> yeah. that. That's freaking crazy. I mean, and like you said, you wrestled him. I don't know if it was at Conant earlier that year, whatever it was, but you beat him. So going into the match, did you have any self-doubt any question marks whatsoever? And if not, what what were you thinking going into that to that match your sophomore year? Yeah, I mean, I, I always had, I, I wouldn't call it self-doubt, but I always, you know, approach every match the same, which is, you know, have, have I prepared as much as I possibly can? So, that, so that's, you know, as a side note, that's something any, any younger wrestler listening to or, or anything, anything like school included, you know, if you're studying for a test or if you're prepping for matches or wh- whatever you're prepping for, you got to, you know, you got a big presentation to give anything in life. I think if you prepare as much as you can, obviously within reason, I mean, you got to sleep and rest and do your thing. But if you, you know, if you work out in the morning and you cut weight appropriately and you're not out, you know, in college drinking late or doing anything crazy and you've done everything you can within reason and sometimes even beyond reason doing even more, you know, where you've kind of pushed yourself beyond your limits uh, I, I think at that point, then you're going to be as confident as you can be, um, which doesn't mean you're cocky, but you know you've done everything you can do, and you just go into the match with that mindset. And that's kind of always how I've approached all of them. And, and, and you have, I think, a lot of the doubts probably come from people that haven't prepared properly. Um, so I would say at the time, I probably thought I was as prepared as I could be. In retrospect, now you know, now that I'm looking and knowing he hired some private coach to look through all my you know, to watch video and and to bring him in, if, you know, I mean, I guess there could have been a couple other things I could have done. Um, but at the time I felt pretty well prepared and, you know, I don't, I, I think I was happy with how, how the, the, how much I had the margin of how much I won by last time, but the match, you know, his game plan changed and that obviously changed the entire match. So what were you doing? What was a typical day for you as a sophomore in high school, one of the, the top high school wrestlers in the country at that time, even as a sophomore, um, outside of the three to five practice in the afternoon, what did that look like for you to, to get the edge and, as you said, do everything you could? Well, I mean, you know, Neighborville North, as you know, you know, we our, our team, I think we had great coaches. I just don't think we had the, the team that necessarily a lot of other teams had for a variety of reasons. But, you know, what I mean by that is that we never even made it down state as a team, never even made it to state as a team, which is kind of crazy to think because one year we had three undefeated state champs, all who came from the Martinez training. 
Um, but the coaches at North were great and did a great job. And, you know, I, I forever am grateful because I guess, you know, one of the things that I would do is I would come in in the morning at 5 a.m. I'd wake up, I'd get in there, which for high school is kind of crazy. Nowadays, it's not a big deal. But in high school, waking up at 5 a.m. is a little nuts. Um, and I'd come in and, and uh, the, the head coach of North right now, Tom Champion, he'd always meet me in there. He'd open it up and he'd let me go. And we'd sometimes we'd work out or we'd run stairs or we'd do whatever. And that was usually just uh, Tom champion and myself you know there it wasn't like the team was doing it nobody else was really doing it so I would do that and then um in gym sometimes I would try to take gym class for instance as a way to kind of either lose a couple extra pounds or whatever I was doing so I'd actually if we were doing a, a mile run or whatever we we're doing I'd really try to push myself hard than that try to take every opportunity I could and then in the actual practice we'd have go through your typical practice, obviously push yourself, typically stay a little later if you can. And then sometimes we would go out, um, I guess it depends on what year it was, clearly not that year, but sometimes we'd go out and, and work out with Martinez if there was extra time, or I guess more like my senior year, I would then go over to overtime and work out with Sean. So it was, you know, as much as, much as you can do. As much as you can do. I mean, absolutely. And there's only a certain amount you can do. And like you said, some of the guys you were working out with were incredible wrestlers. Um, you know, Brian Dyer comes to mind. And I don't know if Charles Martelli was around or if he even went to that school. But for some reason, I'm thinking he went to Naperville North. And Yeah, so he, Martelli went to North, yeah. Okay. And then he had, he went to Michigan. And I actually I bumped into him at the, the last Michigan reunion. He's a, he's a, you know, he's a great stand-up guy. His, he and, uh, and his dad are great people. And so I've always... I always remember looking up to him um, too, coming into there. So it was great, kind of having that, that um, you know, that history of at, at least at North was such a stud coming out of North and then going to Michigan. I mean, to be honest, it's not like I, that had nothing to do with the reason why I went to Michigan, but it was kind of cool and, and it's great seeing him at some of these alumni events now. Dude, that book he wrote, my mom got it for me in seventh grade, <laughs> How to Be a State Champion, and I read <laughs> yeah. that thing all the time. It was. Uh, it was just cool that he had written that down. It really was the only, like, that was kind of ahead of its time. Now there's so much, it's incredible now how much stuff's out there. But back then, if you were from the country, you were like, how the heck are these guys so much better than us uh, in Chicago? But, you know, it was just a mindset, really. But uh, I think a lot of kids from my area thought that um, and eventually got over it. But at the time, it was cool to see um, his book on that. And so that's, I, I kind of figured that's, you were doing something similar to that. And so going into the match, you're a sophomore, he's a senior. I watched it today, and it was weird because the first takedown was kind of a, a go-behind, and then he puts you to your back right away. You're down 4-0. That, that was kind of surprising because I, I thought it was just some random thing at the third period. But then you come back, and you got some really quick go-behind takedowns, and you hit, you're shooting that outside double. Um, then you kind of come to a front headlock and got a couple go-behinds. And so did he choose top in the, th top in the third period? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Because you were up by you were yeah, down by I know. one. That's that's a bold <laughs> yeah. move, man. Yeah, it was crazy. He's up it's by super ballsy. Yeah. He's up by one. State finals it match of the top. match of the yeah match of the tournament takes top and I well that's that I mean it was that's what I was you know I mean that was obviously the right that's where I would say you know the training and coaching came I mean comes in is I mean that was the game plan so I mean I think. Like I said, that that match that I I think I, I think if I'm recalling it right, I think I beat him twelve six. It yeah, was you six did. takedowns and I let I let him up six times. So it was like and it was pretty routine. It was like a routine match for me. Just I mean that's how I wrestled in high school because that was 
how Israel and Nathan and, and Jose kind of trained you. It was all takedown machines. So it wasn't really much focus on, on top. I mean, on bottom, obviously, you want to get away. But for the most part, it was hyper-focused on, on takedowns. Um, and then we did a lot of freestyle on that. So, I mean, that was the right move. I honestly think if he would have taken bottom, I would have beat him. <laughs> you know? Oh, for sure. I don't think he would have taken me down again. I mean, so. but you think a guy now, it's unheard of for someone up one point in the state finals to take top. It's like, you take down, you're up, you escape, you're up by two. It's like, you know, it's just bizarro to see it. And so obviously it paid off and yeah. we don't have to talk about it much more, but I'm really more interested, um, Eric, in the in the rebound, right? So I read that you didn't sulk too long after it and it seems like you had some really you know high level of maturity back then not to sulk and and get over it but i mean what you know if, if, if a young wrestler is listening to this now and they had a heartbreaking loss what helped you get back on the horse and, and get right back going because you never lost again in high school you had one loss in high school ever but if you kind of remember like sunday morning after that tournament or even the weeks after what was it that allowed you to get back going <laughs> well it's the craziest thing. So that night, <clears throat> I went and uh, and went and worked out in the Illinois uh, wrestling room, which is I don't know what no it was. Way. I, mean, I just did it. So I I just started working out all night, and then until someone came and grabbed me and dragged me out of there, and then uh, I remember I was just hitting blast doubles on Adam. I mean nobody was in there with me, and then they, you know, I remember I went to the hotel and it was just it was just it felt surreal. Um, it just didn't feel like it happened. I mean, I'm not comparing to when, you know, I'm not necessarily directly comparing it to when like somebody dies and you don't feel like it doesn't feel real yet. And then it kind of takes a few days to set in, but that's kind of the best way I can explain in terms of how long it took to set in to like, to realize, mm -hmm. damn, I lost, you know? So obviously not on the same magnitude, but in that way of it, it took a, took a few days to be like, holy shit, I lost. Um, but then it was like, all right, well you lost. So, um, so then after that, I mean, it just, it set in, I realized a loss and I was like, well, what, you know, I, it's not like the first time I ever lost in my life. So just, you know, basically I was like, all right, well, I guess I'm not going to be the first ever undefeated, you know, four time state champ. And then it was like, all right, well, let's get back to work. So, I mean, what else are you going to do? You know? Right. So right. I, I mean, I, I, I would say a loss is a loss. It's, I mean, I guess the only loss that really matters is your last loss, and even that you can get over. I mean, at the end of the day, as long as you just – if you have a, a bunch of a career left, which I still did, what, you know, what are you going to do? Let that define your whole career. And I remember, you know, I had multiple conversations with multiple people, my head coaches, my assistant coaches, and Bor Matt probably talked to me, I'm sure, about it multiple times as well. And, and at the end of the day, it's like you can't let a loss define your career. So, you know, it's get back on, and you know how to get back to work, and it's the same thing with anything onward and upward i mean barmay had a loss of his own that's that's legendary you know he's up by 14 in the semis getting ready to score off against joey gilbert in the finals and he gets thrown in a headlock and pinned and he's a point away from tech and the guy and he he was telling me he's right. like i would stay up and watch that match in the summer and my mom would be like it's not good for you and he's like it's okay i'm, I'm using it and then obviously he came back <laughs> and <laughs> he put uh he put a hurting on a lot of people after that and he made people pay his senior year um did you did yeah. you switch your did you put more of a focus on mat wrestling after that or were you still taking Mount Let him up all the way through? No, I, I mean, I put a little more focus on mat wrestling in, in college. I probably mm -hmm. should have put more more focus on it, but really, I mean, not not a whole lot changed as far as strategy. I just kept working hard, and and but I mean, you know, once I got into college, that's when I started building a little more on that. But what I will say is, I've never actually watched that match, so. 
that's where Bormat and I, I guess, are a little different. Wow. I just, I just couldn't, I couldn't bring myself to watch it. So. Oh man. I gotta say, I love that you had <laughs> back then your, your look was the double knee pad. That's a strong game back then. <laughs> and the singlet, was, there was wasn't strong. much going on with the singlet. It was just a Navy singlet from what I could tell. I mean, no, no design, nothing on it. I mean, it, nothing. we've come a long way. <laughs> yeah. So we have. I heard you were between Michigan and Harvard. Why did you choose Go Blue over Harvard? What what happened there? So I actually kind of, sort of, maybe verbally committed a little bit, which isn't really great, to Harvard. I don't know that it was a formal verbal commitment, but I almost canceled my my uh, trip to Michigan after leaving Harvard. Uh, frankly speaking, I think I was more caught up in just thinking the name of going, telling people I was going to Harvard than really anything else. And then, you know, I sat down with Bor Matt and we kind of went over pluses and minuses of everything. And, and at the end of the day, you know, I ended up taking my visit to Michigan and it just seemed like more of a fit because I remember thinking, you know, I know I'm a smart person, but I never thought I was going to be a Nobel, you know, I was never going to win any big award in, in academics or, you know, I was, I, I'm not like brilliant. I, I just have, you know, a hard, a good work ethic and I have a good head on my shoulders, but in wrestling, I thought, you know, I, I have a chance to actually do something in wrestling in terms of something that is very rare, win a national title or, or potentially go to the Olympics or something was kind of, you know, at that, at that age, you don't know what you're going to do. And I knew that I could do something like that, or I could at least aim for that. Um, and so that was kind of the big, in my mind, that's how I broke it down. I was thinking if I went to Harvard, I mean, I remember when I was on my recruiting trip, Jesse Jansen pulled me aside um, and he was like, hey, look, when you come here, you're, you're a student who plays a sport. You're not really a student athlete. And it was just very different. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I think Jesse Jansen's awesome. I really appreciate that he was honest with it. I don't think he was trying to knock Harvard or try to dissuade me from going there, but I think he was just trying to be honest, which I think is appropriate when you, when you're trying to recruit people because you want, you want to have them on board and know what's going on. And I think Michigan, it's a totally different feel. When you go to Michigan, there's the academic center where only athlete, student athletes go. There's, you get private tutors, you know, that, that, that the athletic department will assist you with and all these different things that allow you to basically be the best athlete you can be, but also not fall behind in academics. And so to me, it just made more sense. I just felt like there was more of a support network. Um, and then, you know, Harvard would have been, I think it, you know, while it's great to say you go to Harvard and it's impressive this, that, and the other, you know, in, in med school and, and a lot of different places, what I realized is a lot of the people that I kind of rubbed shoulders with her that were at Michigan medical school, they went to Harvard for undergrad. So mm. at the end of the day, we ended, we ended up in the same, you know, in similar spots and similar situations. So, I figured Michigan will never will never restrict you from anything. I mean, there's you know there's obviously it's a great academic place, and they send people to all different graduate programs, and you know it's a it's a top ten medical school, so it's not like it, it's not like going to Michigan was was restrictive. It just wasn't as prestigious, I would say, or as big of a name as Harvard, at least in terms of academics. Yeah, I mean, but but still, it, like you said, it's it's one of the great institutions, public institutions there are. But I mean, it's a sports school. Like Michigan, Michigan athletics is like the football team, the big house. I mean, they have the sickest colors. I mean, that is a place to go <laughs> where you're taking care of as an athlete. Um, I, I didn't realize that Jansen was there ahead of time. He was actually one of the first guests to ever come on this show, and, and I love love that dude. Um, 
That's cool. He was straight with you though. And he kind of kept it real because I wouldn't expect him to say yeah. that because he's such a competitor. You know, he, I would thought he would say that. Well, yeah. And, and yeah. And I mean, he was, for whatever reason, he was always one of the guys, you know, that I remember growing up. And once I started paying attention to college guys that were just a little older than me, I remember looking up to him because I'm like, man, this guy went to Harvard and he's a national champ. And he was, I think he was outstanding wrestler. And I was like, mm-hmm. this guy is awesome. Um, Andy's from New York, which my, the rest of my family's from New York. So I was like, this, this guy's the best. And so that was, he was really my draw to look at Harvard. I mean, I looked at a bunch of other Ivy leagues and this, that, and the other, but in terms of Harvard, I was like, man, if he could be my training partner, that'd be great. But, um, you know, I guess it just didn't work out that way, but. I mean, no regrets. All right. Cause then you got to Michigan, you were on some, some awesome teams there, um, and when I say that, I mean like you guys beat Iowa like a couple, maybe maybe just a one time, but that's a big deal. And you had Bertine there, who was a national champ. You had the Chirellas that Ryan and Josh were there during your time. So you were with a great group of guys. I wanted to ask you about though the weight cutting situation because I I've read that you, know, you came in knowing you wanted to be a doctor, so you're pre med. So the workload academically was vicious, and your soft your freshman year you have this incredible year. Yeah, you, you you beat. Eustace at the duel at Iowa, you win the Big Tens, you're All-American, really a, a great run, and then your sophomore year coming back, you beat Espo in the All-Star meet, but by the time the the year was kind of wearing on, I've heard that academically it was super challenging, and then two, you were pulling a lot of weight. So, what yeah, was... I was dying. How, how bad was the cut? Because you were at 149, right? Well, put it this way, I weigh... 190 right now and i'm in pretty decent shape so, <laughs> so what it do you was, think you weighed in august was, coming into your so- redshirt sophomore year oh i don't even know but i i maybe like 70 i would guess 175 yeah dude yeah i was i mean i was i was i was hurting yeah it was a weird year i mean because I came in, I beat Esposito, defending national champ, and I'll never forget this because, you know, Jake Herbert and I were great friends, but I'll never forget Herbert was at that all-star meet with me, and he looks at me, and he goes, how does it make you feel that, you know, online polling and all of the online polls on Intermat or whatever, you're the only person that nobody has voted to win for your match? He said that <laughs> to you? Just kind of messed <laughs> Yeah. He was just messing with me. I mean, I was just laughing at him. I'm like, ah, it's fine, man. It's good. So, but I think he was right. I mean, of all the matches that people were voting on, nobody voted for me to win that. So the year started off with a bang and I was like, all right, great. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to win nationals this year. And then it kind of just went downhill from there. I mean, it was, it was a lot. I mean, that was, that was my worst year of wrestling of any year other than my first year when I think I had a losing record. Um, it was it was my worst year, and huh. it was all because of the weight cut. I mean, it was the weight cut. It was terrible. So what? Obviously, it's it's just a drain on you physically um, and mentally. I heard like you would go into practice and you'd you'd weigh in your eight over and you'd get pissed off versus getting excited. So once you moved up to one sixty five, what do you think changed for you? Were you more excited about it? Was it was it just being able to feel healthy and and refresh? I mean. I th- I'm a huge oh. proponent of no weight cutting, and I think the fact that you went up two weight classes and did amazing the next two years really shows that. So, I mean, what changed for you once you moved up in weight classes? Well, a big reason why why I went up is because, I mean, one, I didn't have a great year, and a lot of it was because my legs constantly felt fatigued because I was always having to do a full practice, and then after practice, I was having to throw on sweats and then work out 
to lose the weight. So it was like you do a full college wrestling hardcore practice, and then after that, you work out for another hour to drop more weight, your legs are going to be killing you. So, I mean, my legs were always wobbly. I was always, you know, it was just, it was hard to, it was hard to compete. And then on top of that, I remember being in, sitting in physics class and I'm trying to take this extremely challenging physics, physics test with a bunch of other guys that have been up studying all night. And I'm like working out and doing stuff to kind of lose weight. And I remember seeing stars and bubbles because I'm dehydrated trying to take this exam, and it was crazy. So, Fuck. you know, I eked out a, I eked out an All-American. Um, I think I took six that year, which was, I mean, it wasn't great, but the fact that I eked that out was okay for that year given everything that happened. And then the following year, I think I came back, seriously, I, think I came back weighing 192. And I just, I just told uh, Joe, I said, there's no way I'm going 49 and I'm not going 57, I'm going 65, which at first he wasn't, wasn't super happy about. And, you know, cause Steve Luke was there and he's like, well, Steve Luke's going, going 65. I said, I'll wrestle him off. Um, and so I think once he realized how serious I was about it, we kind of, we all bumped up. And I think that was the year we, was that, it might, I think that was the year that we all, that we ended up taking second. I can't remember if it was the year before that, but, but we all did really well. And I mean, at the end of the day, I, I think it's okay to, you know, make sure that you're in good shape and that you're not carrying a bunch of baby fat. But if you're, if you're ever in the point where you're, you know, struggling to make weight, I just, it's not worth it. The only time I think it makes sense is if you, if you can't compete at the next weight because, and your team needs you there, then sometimes it gets a little, you know, a little touchy because otherwise you don't start. But at the end of the day, I think it's better to not cut weight for sure. I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. Did you cut a lot in high school? No, I didn't cut anything in high school. I was 152. It was like, it was nothing. Yeah. So you were, okay. Yeah, I mean that's I love the I love hearing those stories and the the fact that you went in there and said, "Dude, I'm not doing it. I'll wrestle him off." So, um one of the questions I had though about your Michigan time specifically and I know we're at the top of the hour here, but how different uh is Josh and Ryan Trella or are they are they one of the same? Uh they're totally different. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. had Mark on last week. Yeah, they um yeah. And he's a, like the the old man. He's got that guy you talk about maybe one of the best college wrestlers of all time. I mean, that that guy was crazy yeah. good. Uh, what, yeah, what's what's different all, about Ryan awesome. and Josh? Josh is very uh, conservative, very straightforward. He's very particular. You know, he likes things very in very certain ways. He he eats certain things. He wants you know the kitchen to be extremely clean. That's just kind of how he lives his life, uh, and it's great. And you know his wife and my wife are good friends and they always kind of joke about it here and there. And then Ryan, um, you know, he's a lot, he's a lot more loose and kind of like a lot more easygoing with stuff. Um, so for a long time, Ryan was, you know, was, was the last standing, last of the Mohican, last standing bachelor in, in Ann Arbor. <laughs> and we used to kind of, we'd go out and, you know, whenever there was, whenever I had a moment of free time, I'd call him and we'd go out and do, you know, have a couple drinks at the bar and let loose a little bit. And, um, but Josh is he's he's a he's a great dude, but he's definitely way more straight laced, you know, in a lot of different ways. So but in in a good way, but they're they're just very different people. But but at the same time they're you know, they 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 uh you know, they're super, super close family. Um yeah. and I think it was it was great to be on a team, like you said, with that with such great people because we were all really close. We were all very different, but we were all really close. And I think once you know, I think that's a huge part of the team too, is like, obviously wrestling is an individual sport, but if you can get on a team where, you know, everybody's got your back and you know, you all want to see everybody else do well. And there's no, you know, there's no inter, 
teammate jealousy or competition that's where I think people do the best and, and there was just never any of that especially I mean the Torellas are just some of the most upstanding people I've ever been a teammate with ever so I don't very know different, uh... um, from each other but but they're awesome and then Mark Torella his his uh uh my senior year and Josh's senior year obviously the same year Mark Trello senior came in and he worked with us a lot and that's, you know, and he was just amazing. He's a phenomenal speaker. I haven't heard that podcast, but you know, I'm sure he's, I'm sure he's just awesome. He's a great storyteller. He's, he's a brilliant person. I think. Yeah. He's very well spoken, man. He's just like, he doesn't, there's no extra words. I love when people talk and I'm the opposite of that. I'll say 20, 20 words to get to one thing. (laughs) He is as a way of being very precise with his language. And I really admire that in people. When you call him, he's like, "I'm doing very well, thank you." It's like on to the next. Like he's no no nonsense, and I yeah. I really respect yeah. that in people. Um, was he a, like an actual coach, like on the staff, or was he just kind of coming around and helping out when you were in there? He was just kind of coming around and helping out. I mean, he actually the funniest thing he actually taught me the leg series, and for I you know for 14 years of wrestling, I never rode anybody, and then my senior year, just by that few months that he was coming around hanging out in the room and helping out I was a leg rider all of a sudden so I mean he, he is you know I would say he's top you know one of the, the one of the most impressive people that I that I've ever been you know been able to know really closely I mean he's he's one of those people that you feel fortunate to have been a part of your life yeah and you you just like have like an extra urging to get your shit together after you talk with them like that's like he's just oh, doing yeah. it all oh yeah you know he's like a CEO oh, he's yeah. like you know he has. He's his... yeah. He's a re- he's a renaissance man. I mean that's why he's. There's probably more shit that you don't even know about that he didn't tell you. I mean for sure he built he built homes in Ann Arbor. I mean like in Ann Arbor he you know basically was the contractor and built built homes in Ann Arbor. And I'm like how do you know how to? I mean it's like how do you even know how to do this? He's like, oh, <laughs> you know, I just do this. It's crazy. I mean the stuff that he's able to do. It's you know a lot of it's um, it's pretty impressive. I asked him. I go. And I go, what was your, what was your edge? Cause he was so good. And back then it's like, how could you be that much better than someone else? Cause there wasn't that much youth wrestling going on. And you know, one of the things right. he did was every single day, except for competitions, he would do, I think it was a hundred pushups, hundred squats. No, no. 50 pushups, 50 squats. And then 50 pull-ups and 50 chin-ups every single day. And it might even, I think it's more than that. Cause that's, that's not, I think it was a little bit more than that. Maybe double that. And I go, how many days did you miss? He goes, never <laughs> like a straight face. Never yeah. missed a day. Like that. That's the kind of guy he is. Yeah, That doesn't surprise me. That doesn't surprise me. Plus, I mean, he's, I'm thinking about, you know, talking about, Oh, the good old Martinez days when I first started, that's not old school at all. He's so old school that it's like, he's doing Rocky training. You know I mean? That's, that's right. Rocky stuff. Like you said, that was before, there wasn't even a single club. It just didn't exist. You just did what you did to train on your own. And he, he's that, he is extremely, extremely focused, uh, next level, right. next level of focus, next level of discipline. I don't know. I, I think you're, you're either born with that or you're not. I mean, you're either, I mean, that he's even, even Ryan and Josh are always talking about how, He's so, so, so disciplined. I don't think he had a beer in college. I mean, just very, very straight-laced, super disciplined. Probably kind of how Cal Sanderson probably was. You know? Right, just totally. I mean, and you talk Total about... Total focus. I mean, like the names we're tossing around, though, like yourself, Josh and Ryan Terrell, like these guys are the point zero 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 one percent of wrestlers, but then there's another level that's just like 
it's yeah, hard to even fathom. Sure. It really is. Yeah. Um, so there's probably a couple of levels above, but yeah, right. Say, right. I would say, yeah, yeah. There's a couple of levels above, but I mean, how many people have wrestled and how many people have been four time all Americans? It is a small number. And you know, to be in the, the finals, I mean, that's another level. And obviously what you did in Illinois, man, still people are obviously talking about you now and they will forever. But one of the things obviously people are most impressed with when they hear the name Eric Tannenbaum is the fact that you're a doctor and that you went to a, legit legit school michigan did the you know carry the academic workload and then went into to medical school so once you didn't have to wrestle and work out did you ever think that med school was easy or was it always just freaking crazy the whole time in terms of the stress and the workload no so the one the one thing that i will say is that you know i, I know there's a famous quote by dan gable after wrestling everything else is easy i, I would actually strongly disagree with that yeah, yeah um, totally i mean wrestling is tough it's very very tough um but but med school is tough too it's a different it's a different animal though you know i mean i remember coming out of undergrad and being a you know feeling like a pretty tough guy and you get into med school and you're surrounded largely by a bunch of nerds but these guys compete differently. You know what I mean? It's a different level of competition. They don't care how strong you are or how much you bench. It's like, Oh, well, what'd you get on your orgo exam? You know? So it's, it's just a different level of competition. It's kind of funny. I mean, it's a nerdy level of competition, but if you're a competitor, you know, it's same thing with, you know, if you ask Mark Torello, if you, he, you walk into his world of, of uh, insurance sales and business, the business world and finance and a lot of the stuff I don't know as much about, um, you know, there's, there's different ways to compete. And so I would say, you know, wrestling teaches you that, but it's not, it's not the only thing that's tough. I think it's honest, frankly speaking, I think that's fairly naive to actually think that if you really truly believe that, I mean, it's a cool quote, but I don't, I don't believe that at all. No, not at so all. So I mean, it was hard. It was, de- it was definitely a challenge. And, uh, it was a big adjustment, you know, because the bottom line is what I can tell you is in coming out of college, um, you know, I wasn't arrogant about it, but you do feel there's, you know, you come home from wrestling competitions, there's news articles about you. You know, I was hanging out with Jake Long and some big name people, this, that, and the other, and there's a lot of respect. You went to med school and nobody gives a shit about that. You're like, what, what did you, how'd you, you know, how'd you do on your exam? What, what were your board scores? Um, you know, what, what, uh, residency programs do you have interviews offers at? you know, that, that's all they give a shit about. Nobody cares about the other stuff. So it's a little bit of an adjustment. I think that that's, that's a hard thing for a lot of wrestlers to do is to make that transition, to make that jump from, you know, being a great, and a lot of guys don't want to do it and it's okay if you don't do it. I mean, some guys do it and they go into UFC, which I would say is probably less of a transition because it's a similar thing or some guys going to wrestling as a coach and all those things are great, but to transition into something totally different and take the same uh, work ethic and apply it in a different way. It's a, it's definitely a struggle and a challenge. It's humbling too. It's humbling to start from scratch again. And uh, speaking of Jesse, (laughs) speaking of Jesse Jansen, he mentioned this when I was interviewing him, this is over a year and a half ago, but I still remember this uh, because it really stood out to me. You know, he's a very successful trader, and I think he owns a, a business now of some sort, but, you know, he got his start trading with Mike Novogratz, and he goes, he's like, it's weird, like, the people who are, like, brainiac traders, they have a different kind of stand-up. Like, they can't go to the gym and run and work out for two hours, but they can sit in front of a desk for 14 hours. I don't have that stamina yet. And so there's different kinds of stamina out there, you know, no matter what, what field you're in. I'm sure you saw that when you are hanging out with some of those brainiacs oh, in med school. 100%. 
A hundred percent. That's actually, that's great. Cause that's exactly true. I mean, it's, it's a hundred percent. I remember studying for anatomy and I, I studied, you know, I studied for like, you know, four hours a day, you go around, you're looking at cadavers and, and looking at all the different stuff. And then I remember the first, first anatomy test I got, and I, I, I don't remember the score, but it was not good. It wasn't a good score. And, and I was like, what, you know, what happened? And then, and then I talked to one of my friends that did really well. And he was saying, well, oh, well, I was in there from this time to this time. I was in there like for all day, every day. And you start realizing these guys are, I mean, it's a different level of competition with a different level of stamina for sure. Right. And it's kind of impressive because these are little skinny, wimpy looking guys. I agree who, you know, you or I would look at and be like, oh, who's that nerd or, you know, whatever. But, but it's, it's a different level uh, for sure. Um, and it's a different level of mental toughness. So it is. Uh, I think I think I think wrestling can teach you a lot of those basics, and it definitely I think you can carry it over, but you can't you know you can't be so blinded by thinking that that's the only thing out there. You know, I mean, I always I know there's all those shirts and stuff that say wrestling is life. I kind of feel like that's actually probably the wrong message if you know if I'm if I'm having my kid because it's not the it's not life. I mean, there's a lot of stuff out there after that and. Unfortunately, if you really, if you really truly believe that, I mean, it's fine to wear the shirt, but if you really truly believe that, I think it's you, you might get yourself in trouble or your kids or whoever you're bringing up thinking that, you know. Absolutely, I mean, I mean it's, wrestling is wrestling is life while you're doing it. Right, that's what it is. Absolutely. And then after that, there's a lot, there's a lot more. Now, I know we're over time. Do you got ten more minutes, sir? Do you got ten more minutes? Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Okay. So. And we always wind down with the question, how did wrestling change your life? So you could put that in the back of your mind. But we are in the midst of, now that we're going to shift full-on medical here, we're in the midst of one of the craziest freaking things anyone on this earth has seen right now with this freaking corona thing. I know you are an orthopedic surgeon, so you're not in the ICU dealing with us on the front lines. But just give me your give me your thoughts. I mean, is this something where, is it overblown? Is it underblown? Are we doing the right things? What's your general thoughts on on this whole Corona thing that we're all experiencing? Cause it's turned everyone's lives upside down. And there's a lot of people who are really scared right now. And I don't know what to think. So yeah, a hundred percent as an orthopedic surgeon, by no means is this, you know, we don't have expertise in this. I mean, obviously I've gone through all med school training and stuff, but the thing is, I don't think anybody knows because this is kind of unprecedented in, in the way that it's, it's being managed. Um, I mean, I have some, some concerns about what it's going to do to the economy by shutting everything down. I think if we're able to actually effectively lower the curve um, and, and, and decrease the amount of cases that actually happen, then I think it makes sense to do what we're doing. But the problem that I have is I don't know how, I don't know when we're going to stop. So I don't know at what point are we going to say, okay, restaurants can open. At what point are we going to say you can now do elective surgeries or now that, so it's, it's just, I don't know how you're going to determine when we can then go back to normal. So that's, that's the only question or concern I have in the way that we're kind of shutting down the entire economy in hopes that this will make a difference. Because in my opinion, and again, it's just an opinion, but if we shut things down for two weeks, for instance, you know, like right now our elective surgeries, we can't do anything elective. I'm only allowed to do trauma surgeries. So everything's shut down and, you know, say they start it back up in two weeks. Well, the virus isn't going to be gone in two weeks. So it's just, you know, my concern is that it's just going to ramp back up. So I don't know, you know, I, I don't know if we're able to shut down our entire society and economy for long enough that it needs to be shut down in order to eradicate this virus. So that that's my 
you know, two cents. But again, I'm an orthopedic surgeon. I don't deal with infectious disease or things like that. So, but still, you've been through four years of med school at Michigan. So, your your opinions a lot uh, weighs heavier than most people's. Do you think the mortality rate is actually three percent or higher, or we just haven't have enough tests to prove that? Because that's a that's a pretty important question to me. Because if it's point oh seven like the flu, okay, yeah, I don't really want another one percent more people in the hospitals are weighing that down. But what do you think the actual mortality rate is? Yeah, I mean, there's probably, I mean, it's always a little higher than reported because you just only have so much data. So, I, but I don't know. I mean, your guess is as good as mine, you know, in, in okay. terms of, of what's being record, reported and what's not. I mean, I'm sure it's a little higher than, than, than we know. I'm sure there's people that aren't going into the hospital that are dying and different things like that. Um, it's hard to know if it's blown out of proportion or not. I mean, having had, had this never happen, it feels blown out of proportion to some degree. Um, I don't know how much, I don't know if there's, you know, I, I hope that it's effective in what we're doing because obviously it's costing a lot of people jobs and, and, and a lot of their livelihood and people are stressed out. I think my kid's school got canceled, you know, is completely canceled until May and probably beyond that. And so it's just, it's it's a lot, especially for people that are have two working parents and different things going. I mean, it's it's turned a lot of people's lives upside down. So hopefully it works because if it doesn't, you know, it just it's we're going to see the same amount of deaths and then also have destroyed our economy. It sets a weird precedent to shut things down like this, doesn't it? <laughs> it is. It's, it's very weird. And I, I got to be honest. I mean, I see people, I went to the grocery store for the first time the other day and there's a million people at the grocery store. So, I mean, all it takes is one contact. There's still people going to, to go to get food at fast food restaurants and they're passing credit cards. I mean, every little thing that people don't think about. So it's like, I, I just don't know that it's going to work. I mean, if it works, I think it's worth it. But if it doesn't work, then it was really a huge mistake to shut down an entire economy and devastate, you know, people's lives for, you know, for, uh, to see to see if it worked but i mean i, I don't know i, I mean, mean I obviously just, there's a lot of experts i mean there yeah there is but i mean i just think growing up i was raised by a single mother she was a nurse making like 40 grand a year we have no savings if she, you know she, nurses can always work in situations like this but heaven forbid she was in a situation where she couldn't work for two weeks three weeks it would have been it would have been a nail in the coffin i don't know how anyone would have made it and oh yeah this is this is gonna devastate a lot of people and that that's my concern is i mean the fallout or the damage that this is doing by, by, you know, reacting in the way that we are is, is, you know, my, my general feeling or concern is that that may, that may be such a drastic negative impact that it, it may be as bad or not worse, or maybe adding salt to, you know, mm-hmm. salt to the injury. Cause yeah. it's, you know, I don't know. I mean, people, it's not like we're going to ever prevent, clearly we're not going to prevent anybody from, from dying from this by doing this. So at the end of the day, there's still going to be that. Plus we've now destroyed our entire economy. And that takes a long time to get back going again. Yeah. Um, that's going to be years probably. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, and I never really thought about it, but someone like yourself where your, your practice is orthopedic surgery, the fact that you can't willingly practice is kind of a weird thing to think about. Like who would have ever thought? I mean, I'm way? getting people, I'm getting people texting me from all over the country saying, Hey, I had this MRI. These are the results. The doctor's clinic canceled. Can you tell me, you know, what does this mean or what does that mean? And, you know, so right now we're basically just largely doing, um, you know, we're only allowed to do trauma cases. So any, anything that needs that's urgent or emergent, we're able to do. But other than that, you know, so we're going to have hundreds of 
cases that we're going to have to scramble to do whenever they decide that we can start doing surgeries. So it's kind of crazy, crazy all around the world. So yeah, and and like I said, my concerns of of not going to the nationals or not going to the Olympic trials, like that, that's small small potatoes when you look at the grand scheme of things. And you know, fortunately, I work at a job where I'm in outside tech sales where I can work remote. My day hasn't changed one bit. In fact, I have more time to do this. So it's actually been a little bit better. But in all seriousness, it's it's a big problem for a lot of people. And you know, we hope everyone's well out there. And I, I just couldn't let you off the hook having a doctor. You're the first doctor on the show and not ask you about it, <laughs> given this pandemic we're in right now. So I appreciate you you put me up, put up with me well, badging you there. Well, no problem. Next time, just ask me about ACL injuries or something more. <laughs> <laughs> <But> it's okay. <laughs> Perfect. Will do, man. Um. And, and uh, you know, last question for you, you know, I alluded to it earlier. The name of the podcast is Wrestling Changed My Life. And the, the question could be, how did wrestling change your life or what really sticks out to you as things you take with you to this day? But um, what would you say to that one? I mean, I would say the way it changed my life was the people that it brought into my life. So, you know, some of the names that I mentioned throughout this whole podcast, you know, just even meeting Jesse Jansen, I know, I mean, he, I don't know how many times that guy's thought of me, but he, that was kind of an impact, a, a moment in my life. And Jose Martinez and Israel and Nathan and all these people and Bormat and my high school coaches, Tom Arliss and Tom Champion and just all these people, everybody you meet in your life shapes you. So, um, you know, without wrestling, I don't know who I would have been, you know, because I would have been meeting completely different people, you know? So I would say that's, that's the main thing of how it, it changed my life is pretty much who it brought into my life to meet. Um, and then how those people shaped me and, and created, you know, impact me and turned me into who I am today. You know, all these different influences, uh, the Trellas, I mean, it's just, years and years and years of meeting great people. I think there's a lot of great people in wrestling, a lot of special people that, that are unique. I mean, everybody says wrestlers are a different breed. It's completely true. And if you can take that positive energy from the people you meet and kind of use it in a way to shape you into, into um, moving forward with things after wrestling, I mean, like I said, it's great if that's what you do for your whole life. If you're Dan Gable and that's your entire life, I think that's great. He's an amazing person and he's a great you know, he's a, he's a, he's a awesome person for our sport. Um, but there's a lot of people that are going to go on to different things, different things. And so all these different people shape you. And I think that that, that probably to me is, yeah, is the biggest way it changed my life is the people that brought into it. Was your high school coach really named Tom champion? Cause that's the coolest thing I've ever heard before. <laughs> yeah. <So it> was <laughs> Tom, Ar Tom, Tom Arliss was our head coach, and then Tom Tom Champion was our assistant coach, and Tom Champion now is the is the head coach there. So yeah, unbelievable, great, great group of guys. In all seriousness, yeah. though, you're right, man. I, I love love hearing people say that because that's a, a pretty common answer we get. And I mean, think about these absolute obsessive people you meet who are doing great things just through wrestling. So it's that's an awesome part of it, and I really appreciate your time, man. It's uh, I've been looking forward to this one, and really glad we got to lay it down here. So thank you for your time, sir. Yeah, thanks for having me on the show. I, I, I think it's uh, it's great what you're doing, so I appreciate it. You got it, my friend. Well, have a great night, and we'll talk to you soon. And all great things must come to an end. If you want to hear more from the podcast, text WRESTLE to 555-888. That's WRESTLE to 555-888. You can also find us on Instagram, Wrestling Changed My Life, Twitter, Ryan underscore N underscore Warner, as well as our website, WrestlingChangedMyLife.com. Take care, y'all.